0: Landry Gallo, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie. This episode of Slam the Gavel is sponsored by CPS Protect Consulting Services. A Child Protective Services case is one of the most frightening experiences for any parent. Don't face it alone. Face it with confidence with urgent assist by CPS Protect. You can have access to former CPS investigators to make sure you preserve your rights and protect your family. If you're facing CPS involvement and aren't sure where to turn, their child welfare consultants can help you visit CPS Protect dot com forward slash subscribe and enter the coupon code slam the gavel for 60% off your first year of urgent assist. And this is available in all 50 states. Also, I have another announcement. Bradley's mother, Narcus Golan, passed away in the fall of 2022. Bradley is autistic and needs structured routine and therapies. He receives for his autism six days a week. However, Italy just entrusted Bradley to the Italian social services. If he has ruled to go back, he will face the next three to four years in the Italian foster care system where he can't speak or understand the language. He will then be taken away from the only family he has ever known. And we have Judge Ann Donnelly to thank for that. Please contact Governor Hochel at 518 474 8390. That's Governor Hochel at 518 474 8390 to please keep Bradley here safe in these United States. Hashtag keep Bradley safe. Another site to go to is please com. We need 2,500 more signatures so we can get a case reopened. That's please doyourjob.com. And I would totally appreciate if everyone would sign that petition. I've got a brand new guest on. I have Ryan Kohler on. He has been 50-50 shared custody with his 10-year-old daughter with his proven abusive ex-wife. When she remarried, his daughter reported molestation. From the stepfather, while Ryan, a survivor of abuse himself, saw patterns of grooming. He lost custody 17 months ago after reporting the abuse to DCFS. Opposing counsel, the guardian ad litem, and the school, and another third party created a false narrative that the judge ruled a temporary suspension of parenting rights that still hasn't been restored a year after Ryan proved his innocence. However, the collusion and the court documents, you know, are saying otherwise. I welcome you to the podcast, Ryan. How are you?
1: Uh, thanks for having me, Marianne. I appreciate it. I'm I'm all right. <laughs> you know, we all we all have to battle.
0: Yeah. So you
1: so what you what you've uh, laid out is a good summary of the situation. Um, I think I've seen enough of these cases now, and talking to other parents in reading some books. Uh, It's really easy to think you're alone in this
2: Mm -hmm. because
1: you're so hyper-focused on your own kid and your own case Mm -hmm. and your own traumas. Um, I remember the first day I heard about this being a quote-unquote pattern in the U.S. Mm -hmm. of the protective parent being removed in favor of the abusive parent. Mm-hmm. mostly for money's purposes Oh, yeah. because they know the protective parent will put as much money as possible and the abusive parent will defend themselves with as much money as possible that's how they get the most bang for their buck when i heard that was the pattern and i heard that i was one of 50 one of 100 one of a thousand of these cases for the first time i felt a little bit of relief that i wasn't crazy mm-hmm. or i wasn't it wasn't all in my head. And then about 30 seconds after that moment, I felt horrible, horrible depression because you realize no one's figured this out yet. And no one's solved this problem yet. And it's actually only getting worse. So I figured out that I wasn't alone in this in like February of 23 almost a full year since my daughter was removed in March of 22. And uh, in reading book after book and talking to person after person and lawyer after lawyer, I just realized that nobody really knows how to fix this because it's a systemic corruption issue. It has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with the law. They're working outside of the law. Most domestic judges from what I understand in every state have full discretion. I understand that the majority of domestic courts are registered as commercial courts, not as civil rights courts, so they don't have to honor our civil rights. So when you start hearing facts like that, you realize how tall the mountain really is. And I don't know if you've ever hiked the mountain or not before, but I have, I I used to be a mountaineer in my 20s. And there's always that, you you think you're at the top, Mm -hmm. and then there's like another mountain behind it, and you're like, wait, okay. So you get a top, and you're so t- close, and you look up. Oh my God, there's another one, you know. And that's just the way it works. Except in this case, it's a never-ending peak. I I still haven't found the top of this mountain.
0: And the thing and I, that's just the tip of the iceberg. What you just said.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's just one of those things where you you want to understand why, and there it, there is no why. You know, Like I said, it was about money. At least that was how I put it in my brain. This is extortion to get more money out of both parents. The abusive one will defend their reputation with money. The protective one will fight to death for their children with money and everything else they have. But it's not enough. It doesn't explain why the lawyers and judges choose to do this to children. Like there's nothing in a human soul that would make them want to let little boys and little girls get molested or worse. I think that would t- amounts to be money.
0: Oh, it's the money. It's the Title Four D funding because they know the target parent, you, me, are going to fight and fight till you know we can and um, all we can. So the Title, for, you know about the Title four D funding, I'm sure. I'm sure everybody who's listening to this knows about, about Title 4D funding. So every dollar paid on child support, the state collects, we'll say two to three dollars as an example. Every state is different. So these judges know this. So this system of theirs is working beautifully. And they don't care about your kid. They don't care about my kids. They don't care about your kids. They just want that money rolling in.
1: The Title 14 thing is one thing. And then from what I've understood to be true as well is they're letting you prove the case against the abuser. Mm -hmm. So basically, you're doing your job for them.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Because what I've heard is the next phase of what I'm about to face is once they figure out how to officially remove me as parent um because they're still trying to find ways of angling destroying my reputation destroying my money destroying my company and we can get into that in in a few minutes okay but what i've heard is the next phase is i've spent 19 straight months proving stepdad's a groomer my daughter's words were accurate mom covered it up mom's a sociopath mom's a pathological liar the skull fabricated and doctored and destroyed evidence, the jail fabricated and doctored and destroyed evidence opposing counsel lied about me 77 times in an affidavit. I've proven all this. The judge still hasn't let me present it after all this time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now that's part of the, the playbook, right? The playbook is don't let, if it's presented, I have to rule on it. If I rule on something, he can appeal it. So if I don't rule on anything, He can't appeal and go to a higher court and get justice. And I lose control. The judge loses control at the higher level. I got to keep it in my court. And the best way to keep it in my court is not allowed to be presented, not allowed to be reviewed, not allow witnesses to speak, not allow parents to go back and forth. Because if the evidence comes out and witnesses come out and the third party reports come out and it says I was wrong. Well, now I'm liable, I might lose my bench and my power, but I was handpicked to be in this position to control, make money as a reward. And from what what I've seen in my experience so far, these 50, 60, 70 cases I've seen of of my acquaintances in similar situations to ours, these parents don't get their day in court, they don't get to present anything, which is typical. But what's happening is, from what I'm seeing, is the judges are all assigned judges. They were handpicked. I rarely have seen an elected judge do this. I've seen almost, I'd say 90% plus of the judges I've asked about or looked into in all of these domestic cases I've, I've reviewed are assigned. And assigned means political. Someone did someone a favor, someone owed someone a favor, and the result was a judgeship and a bench for somebody. Agreed. So that's the number one thing. <clears throat> if you have an assigned judge, you're already in trouble. If you can't get um, your day in court, that's first time it happens, you know you're in trouble. And if I knew what I know now, I would have never called DCFS because, in my opinion, they try to pepper you into reporting They try to pepper your kid into into crying or, or reacting, so you react, so you call and report it. And I'm not saying my daughter manufactured any stories. I don't think she ever did. Everything she's told me has been true and proven true in the court docs. But I think they want the protective parent to call themselves because if they call themselves, then they can play the alienation isolation game. And for people who may not know what that is, my experience is uh, the the isolation game is we're going to take the protective parent away from the kid, allow no contact. We're going to start manipulating and brainwashing the child to erase their memory and to blame it all on the protective parent. While we're on the other side, letting this protective parent take the fall for all of this through the Gardner uh, alienation crap. Mm -hmm. a widely disproven theory from a sociopath himself who committed suicide or alienation and the idea that, oh, you're trying to separate the parents from the child. Well, don't you want to separate abusive parents from children? And that's not the goal. Like you said, the goal is to keep it going forever and make as much money as possible from both sides.
0: Mm -hmm. Even my judge, he was elected. But he had a working relationship with the opposing attorney, so those two got along great. In my case,
1: <laughs> this is what's something interesting too. We can talk about this for a minute. Um, in your case, did your judge have a rolodex of their people, the GALS they like to work with, the psychs they like to work with, the custody guys like to work with? Like we didn't even have a chance to debate or research. Like we, they were assigned before we walked out of court that day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm like, great. I'm glad everybody in this courtroom knows who all these people are and these players are, but we're not even giving them a chance to do evaluation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And in my opinion, and this is coming from my business background, any contract signed in distress or under duress is illegal. Mm-hmm. So how can a judge force you to accept a third-party vendor? without giving you an opportunity to vet them, without giving you an opportunity to interview them, and without giving you an opportunity to understand what their hourly rates are and they're fit for the case, you have no time for that. By the time that they walk out, it's already the judge's order. And then if you don't follow along, now you're in breach of judge's order and you might be put in contempt. So they're forcing you under duress to accept their little Rolodex of contacts who the judge trusts to give them the results they're looking
0: for. Very true. Very true. And
1: that to me is the biggest violation because it's the easiest to prove. Any parent who's been assigned a GAL, a 604 custody evaluation person, because it's called a 604 in Illinois, I might be called something different other places, mm-hmm. but a custody evaluator, any kind of private psych for the child or children. I fought all of them. I said, I want to talk to the GALs before you we hire them. No. Assigned the same day. Custody evaluator. I said, well, why are we calling who's available? Why aren't we calling the best person for the job? This is this job, this involves child abuse, molestation. R604 came into court and said, Oh, I'm not familiar with grooming or child abuse. Then how are you on this case? This entire case is about grooming and child abuse. So that's the most disturbing part of this is they're picking their own team, setting their own rules. And if you're on the verge of actually still winning, they'll find a way to stop you from presenting your evidence or witnesses or whatever. So you can't win. Mm -hmm. So it's a rigged game from the jump, Mm -hmm. which is disturbing.
0: It is very, very um, disturbing, frustrating, depressing. I know so many parents that have evidence, 80 pieces of evidence, even video. uh, For instance, of we'll say a father doing drugs in the car with the kid in the back seat. Judge doesn't care. He doesn't care because he's in collusion with the opposing attorney that's defending this father. it's all a rigged, sick game.
1: And I think from what I've understood, because uh, I don't know if, if you know a woman named Joanna Silberg. She's out of New Jersey. She was one of the people who wrote the opinion for the Larry Nassar uh, catastrophe at Michigan State. She presented her, uh, her report to Congress. She's on my case as a professional sexual assault and child trauma expert. Her mentor. Philip Kaplan, Dr. Philip Kaplan. Um, he's also he's also on the case. And then I also have the head of child trauma and psychology at the University of Michigan on my case, who was also on the Larry Nasser board of, of review. So I have three of the most well-respected international experts on child trauma. I flew two of them into Chicago on a day I was told I'd be allowed to present my evidence, my witnesses, and my case. They kept them out in the hallway for six hours. Jonah Silberg she, Jonas Silberg uh, was dealing with uh, a medical issue. She couldn't make the flight. We tried to get her on digital. She wouldn't let us digital. She claimed, oh, we don't have the technology to do digital, even though we've done 24 previous Zoom hearings. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the technology that day to let her talk. So I quietly snuck Dr. Philip Kaplan into Chicago and got him there that day. And she froze him out. We had a six hour window to present because I had 13 pending motions, removal of GAL, removal of psychologist, all these different motions pending. We we're going to litigate the whole day. And the judge froze the whole thing out. We didn't. I didn't present one motion that day.
2: So I still angry. haven't.
1: And then she literally froze him out and she brought him in briefly. She left the room, which is highly unusual for a deposition because the opposing counsel didn't get a chance to depose him, which again, it's not typical that opposing counsel can depose an expert witness because they're just giving an opinion. But he reviewed every ounce of evidence I had previously submitted. He, like Joanna Silberg and like Dr. Kathleen Fowler out of Mi- University of Michigan, all came back with his daughter's being groomed. He was falsely accused of abuse. Because what they tried to flip it was, when I called DCFS, I, in fact, was putting my daughter under mental abuse. I was emotionally and mentally abusing my daughter by putting her through an unnecessary DCFS review. So I had three of the highest level PhDs in the country Who's obviously, like I said, who previously spoken to Congress about the topic, say no parent concerned parent can be deemed an abuser for trying to protect their child. Whether or not those accusations turn out to be true or false, the process of DCFS is not abusive within itself. Judge has not heard that evidence either, or that opinion either. But that's that's how they played it. And that's how they removed her. Oh, well, we he only feeds her donuts and broccoli. Which is hysterical because I'm a hobbyist chef. Oh, he doesn't bathe her. It's ridiculous. I have my daughter shower nightly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She doesn't clothe her. In uh, ten years of her life, her mother has never bought her one new outfit in her life. My mother, who still lives in Pennsylvania, and me buy her everything. Because my ex will take if I leave the tags on, she'll she should take the clothes and sell them, and then buy used clothes and pocket the difference. We've proven that 15 times. But that wasn't allowed to present that evidence either. So, like, there's so much evidence of the abuse of my daughter by mom over the years that I never got to present. But really, none of that would have stuck anyway, because mom, dad, he said, she said, blah, 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 blah. A lot of that kind of minimal abuse of, like, we know it's abusive. Any, any adult knows it's abusive. But... Being a shitty parent isn't illegal. <laughs> but when my daughter came home one day and said, Dad, um, at the new condo we got, are there bathroom rules? And I said, What do you mean, bathroom rules? Well, at mom's house we have bathroom rules. And I'm like, Enlighten me, kiddo. What, what are bathroom rules? Oh, well, Chris comes in the bathroom when I'm naked or peeing or showering sometimes enough for me to be scared. So mom told me to lock the door behind me. So do I have to lock the door behind me when I'm here? And I said, whoa. What did you just tell me? And from my own experience, being a kid raised in Pennsylvania, I went to a school called Bishop McCord High School. And I think it was 80 plus kids came out about 10 years ago in a class action lawsuit against the diocese, against the brother, Stephen Baker, who's since committed suicide. And he was using his supposed experience as a physical trainer in the guise of the baseball and football programs to get young men to disrobe and rub them as quote unquote physical therapy, but it actually was full-blown molestation. And what I learned in my case, because this is how I was deemed a victim, No adult outside of blood family are allowed to be in the room with a naked underage child behind a closed door without parental authorization. So the fact that my ex told her to lock the door means she wasn't authorized by mom to have that with Chris. And the fact that my daughter felt scared, the bathroom rolls on their surface by law is molestation. About three or five months after that, my daughter started telling me about forced lap sitting, forced snuggling, forced couch couch time. And then about a couple months after that, first instance of hotel game occurred. And hotel game is when mom was either out of the house or downstairs. And they would service, quote unquote, guests at their hotel, all the different bedrooms in my ex's house. With stuffed animals, sometimes Kensington would be a uh, would be a uh, guest. Sometimes stepdad would be a guest, and they would service each other. And because my daughter doesn't have money, she had to pay him back with favors. Whoa, oh, yeah. And what's amazing is I have video evidence. Because I I I heard that on we have nightly we used to have nightly calls. I haven't talked to her at all.
2: Mm-hmm. But we used to have
1: nightly calls under court order. And she was like, Dad, dad, we played hotel games. She was all excited. I'm like, great, that's great. Because you, you want to foster a healthy relationship between your child and a step parent. Mm-hmm. And of course I already had suspic- suspicions about this weirdo. And I was like, Oh, great, great. You know, I'm playing along. What what you know, what's hotel game? And she told me what I just told you. And so I wrote it all down immediately on OFW, right? I immediately logged it live mm-hmm. on OFW. Sent it. Within 38 minutes, my ex-wife created a dummy video covering up hotel game, staging hotel game. 30 minutes past my daughter's bedtime when she looks totally erect in the video. With her stepdad and mom in the video. Having a completely different set of roles and a completely different set of circumstances for hotel game. So my ex literally has a video of her covering up the molestation of hotel game. Never came to court. It was used against me in court because the child representative lawyer said, oh, I reviewed it, your honor. It's an innocent video. Oh, I got to take her word for it. I got to take her word for it. Or you can actually present some evidence and have some crosstalk because that's what litigation's supposed to be. So she'll take the GAL opposing counsel or child reps word without any, any evidence. I can have 78 pages of evidence. Well, let me present it. Yet. So that's really how the whole thing blew up. And then I kept pushing the GAL over and over and over again to do something. I said, this is your job. Why aren't you telling the judge anything? This is like from October of 22 to March of 23. or not, sorry, October, October of 21 to March of 22. And I said, you're not doing your job. Mm-mm,
2: mm-mm.
1: You're not reviewing my docs I'm sending you because all the OFW messages to her were unread, 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 all of them. You're, it's like you picked your pony. Mm-hmm. Except the problem is you picked the wrong pony. Mm-hmm. The pony you picked is the abusive, psycho, sociopathic, pathological liar who's been proven to have married a pedo. Mm-hmm. And so it was all pushed. They came in March of 22 with he doesn't clothe her, her, feed her properly. He lets her play with loaded guns when he's not around. He doesn't shower himself. He doesn't clean the house. There's bags of garbage laying around everywhere. I mean, the most obscene lies ever. And I took it as such a hilarious joke until the next day on the emergency motion hearing. They had the hearing at 8 a.m. with no court reporter present. And within 38 seconds, they removed my rights And I haven't seen her since. Then they offered me the standard package, right? Supervised phone calls for a price, supervised visits for a price, supervised uh, 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 co-parallel, what do you call it, Uh, therapy for a price. Mm -hmm. Here's your menu of options. How much can you afford? And I just refused to play. I said, no, I'm not paying to see my child. You stole my home and now you're offering me to rent it back to me. No, I'm, not, I'm good. And that didn't go to plan for that. Because they thought, you know, daddy money bags was going to just pay into the system and I refused to.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I immediately ceased paying the GAL after she lied about me. And then, of course, the 604 custody evaluator was already in process. So we finished that process. She was supposedly done in July. She told my Sykes, the three I hired, that she was coming down in my favor in August. So I was ready to get her back in September. Her report didn't come out for another four months. And the report was this is remember, this is the lawyer's investigator, the mm-hmm. lawyer's custody advisor, hand picked. Stepdad's a pedo, clear as day. She found stuff we didn't even find. He used to have a MySpace page called Condiment, where he talked to underage kids about safe sex to groom them. Mm. That he has this horrific background of cash jobs and bouncing place to place. That he moved from his mother's basement, never having a real relationship in his life at 39 years old, to moving in with my ex within a couple of weeks. Immediately, he had a toy collection. I mean, I'm not. This is not bashing anybody in the audience who loves their toy collection. Because I know a lot of guys out there, Star Wars guys, and what and, and uh, Lego guys or whatever. But what man has a stuffed stuffed animal collection? He had a stuffed animal collection. He gave my daughter one of his stuffed animals to remember him when she was at my house. So all of these things, and the report said, matches the profile of a pedophile. He's grooming her. Dad's told the truth and been direct the entire time. Mom has lied throughout this entire process. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Dad passed all of his psychs and social. Mom barely passed her psych and failed her social. Mom is deemed as a narcissist and a pathological liar. I believe Dad might be a narcissist and a control freak, and I and I never had a chance to cross examine how why she thought that. <laughs> and then her report was all these reports about Mom are bad. All these reports about Dad are good. Dad has never neglected her, never not fed her, never anything like that. There's no evidence to support any of that. The school records show the lawyers lied about Ryan. So the 604 actually said, I've reviewed the motion that removed his daughter. It's all bullshit. There's nothing in there that is substantiated. Ryan's disproven the whole thing. And she even told my my experts, my PhDs, I'm going to deem her at risk at mom's house, which immediately gives her full custody to me until she ends that relationship. I told the judge that at the next hearing, I said, she's going to be deemed at risk, Your Honor. We got to get this, this this report in sooner than later. So she pulled her in. And then the next hearing, she goes, are you going to deem Kiko at risk? And the 604 180s her story and says, no, I'm not. Who told you that? Ryan's lying. My mouth hit the floor. Uh-huh. My... My expert witness wrote an affidavit saying she told him that. And the judge just let it go. Three months later, suddenly this report sounded a whole lot different than what it was sounded like before. And the report, like to your point about the ch- or, uh, Title 14, suddenly it was dad gets every other weekend if and when he goes through anger management. Because he was angry about being framed for crimes. He he has to go through therapy for his previous sexual traumas, even though I've gone through a thousand hours of therapy for my trauma. He has to go through supervised parenting after those. And he has to go through a reunification camp with no timeline, no goal setting, no anything on any of them. So they could honestly be extended for forever. And then once I get through those at judge's discretion, then I get her every other weekend, which is a reduction from 50-50. And guess what? The next thing will be after that is child support, to your point, where now they're gonna get more money for themselves because they hurt my little girl and, and buried me under bureaucracy.
0: They are disgusting. They are child abusers in black robes. My friend Kenneth Godfrey wrote a book called Child Abusers Wear Black Robes. Uh, he's written four other books as well, but they are child psychological abusers to allow this to go happen, to, to allow this to happen to a child. They all should be locked up. In my opinion.
1: Well, this is the part I don't, I don't understand. Maybe you have more experience in this than I do. But I think most states have some sort of child endangerment criminal offense. There's also aiding and abetting. So as most protective parents who accuse the other parent of abuse are fully aware, an accusation is a big thing to say in record out loud, in public. It's a big thing. You can't take it back.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I was very careful. That's why I waited. Bathroom rolls, I didn't do anything. You know, the lap sitting, I didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. But when Hotel Game came out, the stuffed animal came out, and then she told me that they told her to lie about it. When they told me, when, when she told me they told her to lie about it, she said, Dad, the psych mom and stepdad told me to lie about that's when i called dcfs because in my training and experience and therapy one of the last stages before sexual assault is convincing the victim that nothing has happened right That they're not in danger
2: Mm -hmm.
1: that it's someone else's fault Mm -hmm. to cover it up to keep secrets that's one of the primary last stages of grooming slash molestation. So when I heard that she was at that stage where they were telling her to lie and cover it up, and she, she and I have always been close, or at least always were close,
2: mm-hmm.
1: she goes, dad, they told me to lie. They told me you made it all up. I said, who told you I made it all up? Oh, the, the court psych told, told me you made it all up. What? You mean the stuffed animal doesn't exist? The bathroom roll texts don't exist. The hotel game video doesn't exist. No one made anything. So I guess the point I'm trying to make about the parents is we don't take it lightly when we accuse someone else of abuse because we know what abuse means.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we know it's a chance that's going to irrevocably damage our children and our own lives.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I just don't p- think people understand that they want you to accuse the other parent of abuse because then they could put all these third parties into the courtroom case. They can have all this layer of control. Everyone's getting paychecks. And then ultimately, they're going to decide however they decide. So one parent pays the other parent some level of support because that's where they get their cut.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I also think that they are s- strategically
2: mm-hmm.
1: allowing the protective parent to prove the abusive case against the abusive parent, because now, once the protective parents out of the way, it's easier to get that kid in foster care,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and foster care is where they make the most money. Because now you've just given them all the evidence they need to remove mm-hmm. that kid, whatever they want, and put them in foster care. Because if they remove the protective parent, they can easily remove the abusive parent. And then the child belongs to the state. And that's what's terrifying is the state thinks they can parent our children better than we can.
0: Yes. This, uh, it's very uh, disturbing. I have no words for how disgusting this is.
1: But yeah, something along the lines of
0: 24
1: months, 28 months of this. My company was targeted by the FBI uh, white collar crimes division. They audited my entire company saying we were misusing investors funds came back completely false. The SEC investigated us, came back completely false. But what they were doing, they wanted to see how much money I had in the background. So I had these little private companies, holding company after holding company under LLC, under LLC, because I built companies for a living is what I do. Mm -hmm. They wanted to know how much money dad really had before they pushed the agenda. Because they can't fight a parent with limited Resources And they can't fight a parent with limitless time. But they can beat a parent, as most of us are, nine to fivers, with limited resources. But the first stage of any accusation against me, there was no true accusation about me. It was just a battle over a day of, of custody here, a day of custody there, all got thrown out by the judge. And then suddenly one day at the office, we got a knock on the door, and it was the FBI. Dropped eleven subpoenas off and searched my searched our place, and uh, sat down and had a coffee with us, and uh, had a conversation about how they thought we were misusing funds.
0: And this and started in we the beginning, in the very beginning. Oh yeah,
1: that, this this is before this is this is this is this is literally at the be, beginning, beginning, beginning of the custody battle. And it was really bizarre. And my lawyer, who handles all my contract and civil law, he just like, why would they come at you? He goes, you're a small-time business owner.
2: Mm -hmm. You're a
1: small-time consultant. The FBI has way bigger fish on its radar. He goes, a guy who owns four clothing stores has more cash flow than you do. He goes, why are they coming at you? And I said, because someone called in a favor. Mm -hmm. So we submitted a FOIA request. Who turned us in? Who tipped them off? And under a FOIA request, they have to tell you. They refused, which is a it's a violation of federal law. Now, if they found something and we were going into court, they don't have to tell us. But we have the right to face our, our accuser in court. But if it comes back unfounded, which it did, mm-hmm. We have a right at that moment to ask who turned us in mm-hmm. because they want to know, too. The FBI doesn't want to waste their time on guys like me. And so when that happened, I realized I was up against something way bigger than just my crazy ex-wife. You know, what exactly? What is this? Is this, is this targeted because I'm an outspoken advocate of different items? I mean, I've sat on the boards of at-risk girls' charities. I've sat on the board of Habitat for Humanity. I've sat on the board of of, uh, inner-city youth programs. Like, I'm a pretty well, at least I was, a pretty well-respected businessman in Chicago. Mm -hmm. I've been published. There have been articles written about our work, about our projects. And it's just really bizarre they would come at me so hard so fast. And like I said, them refusing to even say who turned us in, just screams corruption. And so at the end of the day, I don't know how it all ties together yet. We're still looking for a couple loose threads to make sure how that all fits. But no one can disprove that the GAL opposing counsel in the school fabricated evidence, destroyed other evidence, tampered witnesses, and created a false narrative against me to remove my child. You know, I'm a soccer coach dad, tennis coach dad, mm-hmm. ski trip dad, Disney dad. You know, I'd buy her every outfit she wants because, you know, I'm a dad of a princess. and I love it. Mm-hmm. You know, I teach her science and math more than I push anything else because I think women in those industries are awesomely underrepresented. And I think that she'd be better served with those skills and other skills. And she loves science and she loves math.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She likes how I teach her math. In her, in all the in all the third party stuff we found in the report, she said she's scared of mom, mm-hmm. and then they they shoot it away saying, "Oh, she's mom's hard on her on her academics. That shows good parenting." That's not what she said in the in the nurse's office. Nurse office says, "I don't want to take the test because I'm I'm scared what mom will do to me when I go home." Mm-hmm. That's a kid who's fearing for physical abuse. My daughter's reported physical abuse. Like she's a, she was a a prodigy level tennis player at nine years old. I don't even know if she's playing anymore at this point, but I was trying to put her in camps and her mom would refuse to take her to camps. I told her, okay, I'll pick her up from your house. I'll drop her back after the camp. No, I don't, I don't want to do that. Well, I can't take her every day when we have split weeks.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I have coaches from Northwestern University saying, your kid's going to be a star. Bring her out to our camp as soon as possible and let us work with her. Because I was sending them video of our practice sessions. No support. My ex-wife owes me over $40,000 of different child activities over the years. She came to me one day crying, I'm broke, I'm broke. I spent all the money you gave me in the divorce. (laughs) I don't care. Yeah, I gave it. I gave it to you. You're, you blew it. My, please, please take care of all of her, her expenses for a couple of years. What am I going to say? No. So I pay everything for her for two years, three years, four years, five years. And then my ex-wife buys a house in a district where we didn't agree to move to. Put her in a school I didn't agree to. She forges my signature for the school. Because she needs my approval for decisions for academics. She forged my signature and put her in a school district I never approved. She my daughter bought me a Father's Day watch. Nice little wood watch with a nice little engraving on the back about dads and daughters, mm-hmm. right? Probably something you can get for 40 bucks at Target. Mm-hmm. But nice. She was so happy, so proud of herself to give it to me. Oh, dad, you're going to love it. And I did. I loved it. It was great. One of the best gifts she's ever given. And she goes, well, I got to work. I got to work on it now. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, mom says I have to clean the toilet to pay it, pay back the debt. And I said, wait, what? Mm. She goes, well, mom loaned me $30 to buy it. I didn't have enough money on me and she wouldn't let me go to my savings account. So she's making me scrub a toilet with a toothbrush for $1 every time. So I have to do 30 toilet scrubbings to pay back the watch. I said, Kiko, that's that's capital punishment. We got in my car. I drove over to my ex and I threw her 30 bucks. And oh. I said, don't ever, ever put my daughter in debt to your BS. Especially for a gift from me to punish her for wanting to do something nice for her father.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, there's a million of these stories. Mm-hmm. She used to call her ex-boyfriend Kenzie's dad amongst the school circles. She used to tell people I was a gambling addict and a womanizer and some kind of crazy person, and none of that's ever been true. Like, you're dealing with someone who literally will lie to build their own narrative. Mm-hmm. She told everyone she left me because of whatever. When I left her because I had a slice in my neck six Mm -hmm. inches long from her nails scraping me when I caught her stealing money from my company.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So it's like, you're dealing with this level of narcissistic pathological liar. And my gut told me at the beginning, this GAL made a mistake. Mm -hmm. She believed her lies, you know, the believe all women credo Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and backed her up. But I don't think that's what it was, because at some point. If you're a counsel, not learned this from my civil. Work, at some point, if you realize your clients lying and getting your butt in the hot water. You tell the judge, mm-hmm. you're like, your honor, my client has been caught lying and lying to me mm-hmm. dozens and dozens of times. I recuse myself from this case. Because what they're doing is they're creating your liability now. Because you're the lawyer who's signing off on all this crap. But no, they just keep the foot. The foot was on the pedal the entire time. They never tried to recount their statements. They never tried to, you know, change their motions, you know, wording, anything. They knew they were going to win from minute one. And that's why I know the system is I mean my gut told me that at the beginning but I still went through the process thinking I have civil liberties thinking I had civil rights and I realized I didn't And what's really what really is sad is looking back on it I should have just never engaged with it
2: mm.
1: I should have never engaged with it because when you engage with the system they sell you on lawyers, and psychs, mm-hmm. and custody evaluators, and GALs, and child reps, and all these other people. But really, why does a kid need seven people to talk to you every week, digging through their, their little soul? They don't need that. Mm-hmm. They need their mom and their dad, and their families. And I think the advice I would give to anybody who's the beginning of this whole thing.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: It doesn't matter how much evidence you have. It doesn't matter. I know parents with positive rape kits Mm -hmm. for their kids who lost their custody. How can you possibly award custody to to a positively ID'd rapist?
0: Well, I know I've been uh, doing a podcast with this dad, Jim Shock, and his ex, her boyfriend is an eight count felon, and the judge seems to think that's okay to have his little boy live with that. This is what we're dealing with. I guess my
1: question to you is, in all of the people you've spoken with, and all the people you've talked to, has there been any kind of unilateral agreement on how to win?
0: Mm-mm. Um. I had interviewed Brian Vukadinovich July first. I did a podcast with him. I've done a couple with him. He offered solutions on, you know, exposing these judges, and uh, there were solutions. Um, but uh, a lot of parents. I don't see any anybody winning. Who needs to win?
1: Yeah, I think you you made a valid point about the judges. It has to start there. Because as long as the judges have full discretion, and there's no consequences, and there's no fear of doing the right thing,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. you have to put fear back into the judges. I'm not saying fear isn't threats of physical violence or anything. What I'm saying is there's got to be accountability. And from what I can tell, these judges are working completely off the map. Violations of so many civil liberties. You know, I mean, the lawyers have learned to adapt to the filth provided by the judge. Because the judge gives them Limitless runway to f with the protective parent, Mm -hmm. but that the judge doesn't have fear and doesn't start restricting the roles back to reality and back to fairness.
0: Parents don't have a chance. No, no. When when you're a target parent and you're trying to protect your child, you really don't have a chance. It's it's how you know deep someone's pockets are that's the also going to be a target parent because they know they can get title 4d monies out of you in, in the form of child support enforcement which they thought they could do to me but they were stupid
1: they put well what i, what I did to combat that was i put everything under a trust for uh-huh. my daughter put her as the sole proprietary re- receiver and then i put a person on top of that and a blind trust So I basically built a shell company for my daughter's money and my companies and my assets. So they'd actually have to literally sue the receivership and the trust in my daughter's name to get money out of my pocket for their own druthers. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I'd love to see a court sue a little kid to take money out of their pocket to pay for their own abuse. And I laid it out to the judge. I wrote an actual letter to the judge and I said, you know this is what's happened. I put everything under a trust. I'm not paying anyone else here a nickel. I've proven the GAL, the opposing counsel, the site, that this person, that person, all have lied. Aiden abetted a known, <clears throat> a known pedophile. Aiden abetted a known child abuser. I said, I'm not paying you a nickel. And I said, if you come after me, you have to sue my daughter to take money out of her pocket to pay yourselves. And I said. I don't even think you're that stupid, and that was the that was the last thing I did on a, on paper. That's brilliant. And then, and I tell and I tell parents like, listen, I I deal with companies for a living, right? Contract law was one of my primary functions. There are business strategies, and I think that's why I was a little bit more successful in protecting myself than other parents have, because most parents are nurses and you know, contractors mm-hmm. and whatever, right? They don't have that level of litigation experience. I've litigated for myself seven times. I've won seven. So I have that litigation experience. In 2016, my ex tried to kidnap my daughter to Wisconsin with one of her other boyfriends. So I went through the domestic process once with a domestic lawyer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And at the end, she goes, okay, great. We got everything, moved to Chicago and the, and the and the living radius is smaller and uh we you know you're not going to lose your daughter and I said can I ask you a dumb question and this is one of the, supposedly one of the top lawyers in the city 500 bucks an hour <sighs> at least at that time it's probably t- 10 times or t- double that now 500 bucks an hour and I said can I ask you a really dumb question that I did a little bit of my own research on yeah sure go ahead Tom ask me I said, isn't it true that if my ex took my daughter across state border, I could have immediately called state troopers to get my daughter back, bring her back across state line, and I would have immediate full custody. She goes, yeah, that's true. In no part of your brain Mm -hmm. did you think of telling me this, giving me the option of letting it happen on purpose, To get my daughter safe. Or the bigger question. You didn't use that argument at all. Her kidnapping my child. The threat of kidnapping. To get back more power. Of decision making powers. Or more custody. So I paid effectively $10,000. To one of the best lawyers in the city. To write a letter. Make one court appearance. And to throw the game. And so when this came around in 2019, and I called their up, them up again. They were like, well, you were kind of adversarial the last time we represented you. And I said, oh, you mean when you blew the case and you didn't protect my daughter, knowing we'd go back in the court later, because you all want to keep these cases open and ongoing forever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Further traumatizing my child. And they're like, it doesn't seem like we're going to be able to work together. Click. And that was it. And then I said, I decided to go pro se. And I'll be honest, if I wasn't pro se, I wouldn't have found half the evidence I found. Because I know how lawyers are. They're not, they're not, they're too busy. They're overworked. Mm -hmm. They put everything on their, on their inexperienced staff. They don't make complete arguments. Mm -hmm. They don't actually read everything. Lawyers are just like every other profession we're all overworked, we're all too busy, we all get too many emails. And that's the advantage of a pro se parent with time on their hands is because we have the desire, the motivation, the focus to beat these clowns.
2: Mm -hmm. The
1: problem is we're not allowed to win because it defeats the purpose of them to start with. And the business of this domestic court system is to beat us down, not to let the good parent win.
0: I agree. That's what exactly. It's like your case is very similar to mine. And we've we've talked on the phone about things like that. And uh, yeah, it's just very, uh, we're working with a lot of personality disorders. And I also think not only are the judges, not all of them, I'm I'm sure there's some good ones out there. I had uh, two good ones, um, but that's way after the fact. But for the most part, it needs an overhaul. Uh, CPS needs a complete overhaul. Uh, These lawyers, there should... uh, I think family court should just be outright abolished and take it down to civil court where you have a six-person jury. If there's false allegations, they should be dispensed of quickly and not waiting six months.
1: I would even take a three-judge tribunal to actually have a descending opinion or potentially a unified opinion because at least you're getting a second set of eyes and Mm -hmm. ears. I mean, my judge has gone. I got a letter from the state because remember I told you how they, 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 they accused me of a parallel DCFS investigation. I submitted one against the stepdad. They, four days later, invented one against me. And said, oh, the school called against Ryan. The school called against Ryan. I documented it. I talked to them. I was there. This is what the GAL said. She even billed me for it. Nine hours talking to school officials.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: $500 an hour. Nine hours talking to school officials.
0: When she probably only talked for like maybe eight minutes.
1: But I'll go a step further opposing counsel lists the names of the school members in her affidavit. Oh, I talked to her and him and her and her, and they all said, dad's the abuser. (laughs) There's a signed affidavit and there's a court record and there's a billing record of this big assembly against dad. So we go in the court. Like again, before court starts, no court reporter present, lose my custody rights. Now, DCFS in Illinois, I don't know how it works everywhere else. There's what's called a mandated reporter. If you're in a profession that works with children, you're a mandated reporter.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: If you are told in any capacity that a child is being abused, you're supposed to immediately call. The end. That's it. Even the book says, "Don't think, don't question it. Just call. Mm-hmm. Child safety priority one. Your discretion priority two. Like, call." And it even says further along in the book, the guide for Illinois, if you're in a mandate, if you're in, if you're in a school setting, a school official, <laughs> you must document your call. You must document when you called, log it, whatever. You have to document. Written. You have to submit a written report about your call. So they come in. Oh, Your Honor, Mr. Kohler did all these horrible things. The school called about him being an abusive father. And I said, Your Honor, since I've called DCFS and I learned the process, can you have them present the call code Can you have them present the case number? Can you have them present the official investigator? Because I heard all about that when I called. And I gave them that when I called. It was blank, 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 A. And I learned, I didn't tell anybody this because I think they want us to be stupid and ignorant. The child's number is a sign. If another number is called on that child's social security number, it's A, B, C, D, E, all the way down. But it doesn't change the number. And it logs the time, and it logs the caller. GAL's like, oh, Your Honor, I talked to the principal. I talked to the teacher. I confirmed they called. I was in the room when they called. I was there, Your Honor. Okay, great. What's the code? Oh, I don't have it in front of me. Really? You don't have the time log? Do you have the investigator? Mm-hmm. Um, um, I mean, it's probably the same lady. Nope. Nope. It's rarely the same investigator. Every phone call is treated as an isolated phone call. They can mm-hmm. assign anybody to it. So they're literally lying about their knowledge base because GALs are mandated reporters. GALs are supposed to be very familiar with the DCFS process. So in the first hearing, I already know it's bullshit. A week later, a week after that, we, got to, we had weekly hearings for like six weeks straight. Judge, And then the judge at one point says, I'll call DCFS to get to the bottom of this. And I said, Your Honor, you don't have to waste your time. I said, we already know the call never happened. So the case turned into, did the call happen or did the call never happen? Because I told the judge to her face. I said, Your Honor, I wish they would have called about me. Because then I don't have a shiny unfounded letter to wave in front of your face to say oh ryan was found not guilty of neglect but the threat of there being a call about me is one thing your GL saying there was and she confirmed it is another your opposing count my opposing counsel writing in an affidavit and signing it citing two people at the school is something different so i subpoenaed the school members Mm-hmm. Judge quashed four rounds of subpoenas for the same three school members. I finally got to talk to the teacher. And on record, in a deposition, the teacher admitted she knew about the abuse and didn't report it. Which is a criminal act. Can you sue her? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's my only way back in the case is going after the school. Right. Then ask me the hardest part. Try to find a law firm in Illinois who wants to take that case. (laughs) I've called 22 law firms, all supposedly schools related, whatever. I've had lawyers give me an estimate of $100 million settlement for what the school did to me and my daughter.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: No lawyer will take the case. And that's what I really need. I need lawyers who will see it all the way through. Mm -hmm. So, because my deal is this. I'm offering the entire settlement check to the law firm that takes on the school. $100 million plus settlement. It's going to be huge. They changed her school records. They denied HIPAA rights, my access to records. They doctored other evidence. They fabricated evidence. They aided and abetted a known abuser. They didn't, they did not report mandated reporter. Every instance of not reporting abuse is a one to two year mandatory jail sentence in Illinois. Every account of aiding and abetting a known abuser is a three to five year felony. That's four to seven years per instance. And my daughter reported 60 times she was being groomed and molested. That is a lot of jail time between three people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not to mention the civil asks after that and all the money attached to the civil. But my condition is this. I will give a loan from a hundred percent of the winnings under one condition. You fully it, because I want to call the judge, the lawyers, the, the psychs, the school officials, my ex, the pedo, I want to call everyone on the stand because I'm going to I want to blow the whole thing open. I want to know who talked to who and when, how they colluded, what was said, what money changed hands. And that's why no law firm will take it, because they don't want to hurt their friends. Because they all know each other. Mm-hmm. The be- You know who the best lawyer is in Illinois? for school lawsuits. there's a gentleman named Josh Silver, very competent attorney. I've spoken to him a couple times. He happens to represent my 604 so there's a conflict of interest. How does he possibly represent a child psych firm in the same category of domestic when he knows potentially one third of his potential caseload, Will have a conflict with his own client. And how, when, why does a child rep firm need such a high powered attorney for their own civil defense? Like, doesn't that strike you as odd? There's a conflict of interest, and you have a high powered attorney in your defense. What are you doing that's so wrong that you need that kind of guy on retainer? When I talked to him and he said there's a conflict that hung up on me Ooh, yeah I was like, wow, cool plot thickens. But yeah, I mean that's the hardest part it's the lawyers. I have the cases. I have cases against three different law firms including the school's law firm because I can prove the school law firm fabricated evidence. Mm-hmm. I got the school dead the rights. I've got the GL's law firm and the opposing counsel's law firm dead the rights and not for something pitily like defamation. I have them on fraud, intent to, to defraud the court, conspiracy to harm a child, child endangerment, aiding and abetting a, a known pedophile. I mean, we're talking serious charges, serious jail time, serious penalties. And I can't find any firm that wants to take them all.
0: That's. I hate to say that's typical because I was in a situation where I had wanted to sue the school as well. Um, one of my children went to the counselor with an issue. And I don't know why the counselor's calling me. Do your job and call CPS. But they had to call me first. <laughs> anyway, they called CPS. CPS comes back and says, well, you know, every parent has a different parenting style. I'm like, (laughs) okay, okay. And then another incident happened at the school and I, they needed to be sued. And my attorney talked to me out of it. And uh, she said, you know, you've got another kid in there. They could retaliate on him. She says, if I were you, I, I just wouldn't do it. I'm like, okay. Okay. I don't know what to say.
1: Here's here's the long and short of it. I've had two types of lawyers in my career, uh, mostly on the civil side, because like I said, I'm a business person. Um, I've had lawyers who are gung-ho,
2: mm-hmm.
1: workers, grinders, litigators. And I've had lawyers who are lazy strategists, I like to call them. Mm-hmm. They give you pie-in-the-sky advice and tell you to avoid litigation because they themselves don't want to deal with it. Because every lawyer, and I don't care what anyone says, this is a fact, they have a little pie chart in their office. How many hours versus what's the potential settlement versus our cost versus our overhead equals do we take a case or not? Hmm. Every firm in the country has that. And you can't convince me otherwise. And if they don't have it, they need to have it. Um, It's just smart business. If you're a service provider, which lawyers are supposed to be service providers, you don't take on losing cases and fill up your schedule with losing cases. You also don't take on cases where you spend three years on it and you profit $1,000. Mm-hmm. You break even plus a 1000 bucks. They want these home run cases.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, what's amazing is I have four or more home run cases, and I can't give them away. And remember, I have all the evidence, all mm-hmm. the discovery, all the players, all the transcripts. I got it all.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
1: even have it organized. And what's crazy to me is I tell people that oh, it sounds great. Pay me $5,000 to review it. <laughs> and I, 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 I gotta have, I gotta pause and just say the audacity of me calling your firm, offering you a seven to eight to nine figure settlement case.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And most of these are gonna wanna settle a court. These lawyers do not want to go public with these cases. So they'll settle out of E and O insurance. A couple million bucks. A mom just won her custody back in California a couple days ago mm-hmm. and won a $3.1 million settlement for CPS falsely accused her of, ab- of abuse.
0: But she, she still doesn't her- have her kid back.
1: Oh, okay. I thought you had the kid back and the
0: No. Same with us, okay. Because even though I was cleared of emotional abuse charges, we should have gone back to 50-50. But that judge wanted to carry on the false narrative that I was still abusive to these kids. He didn't care that I was exonerated. The family court judge did not care.
1: Yeah, their their tag on me in the beginning was emotional abuse because of the call to DCFS. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Then they changed it to he's an angry person. Well, I'm going to ask a question to the audience. The there's a difference uh, between anger Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and acting on anger. Okay. Anger is a very normal, healthy, common human response. When you're being taken advantage of, when you're being hurt, when you're being marginalized, our body goes into fight or flight mode. What you do in fight or flight mode is what defines your character. Do you go out, drink? Do drugs? Self-implode? Do you beat on your kids? Do you put a hole in the wall? Do you break the window? That's, you know, explosive. You know, exhaustion of that, of that anger. Or do you hyper-focus... Get back to work and use that anger to motivate you to continue forward and make make progress. So, I'm now deemed as an angry person because I'm angry that they took my daughter, framed me, put her in abuse of the pedophilic like household, and denied me my rights—not only to present my case, but to get her back.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I have every right under God's law to be angry.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Have I driven to anyone's house and made a you know a burning sign in their yard? Nope. Have I threatened anyone's families or children or cousins? Nope. Have I thrown a rock through the judge's mansion window? Nope. I don't even know where these people live or what they drive. But the point that I'm making is Anger is a normal human reaction for when you're being mistreated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To say that anger is the reason you can't get your child back when you're, them hurting your child is the reason you were angry
2: mm-hmm.
1: is the most circular, reasoning, corrupt mindset I can think of. We took your child away. Yes, I'm angry about that. Well, because you're angry, we're not going to give her back. And on and on and on in one big circle, and I refused to go to anger management. Oh, I agree. my ex, my my ex, admitted to hitting me, in the court case. I had three witnesses report the damage I had when we were married, which is why one of the reasons why I left her. I have, I have passed all my exams from the custody advisor. My ex failed some of hers. But I have a personality disorder, even though my ex didn't even register on the personality scale. She lied throughout the entire process and under oath, committing crimes. It's just like, where's the balance? So to your point, it doesn't really matter what you can prove.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's it's just a matter of what they allow you to say. Because I showed a letter from DCFS, to the judge, and I said, look, this, this letter states that there was never a call made about me. She looks at it. Oh, I can't read this without my glasses. Oh. <laughs> I asked her at one point, I said, Your Honor, can you... Uh, Assign me a black man or a or a black woman or an Asian man to my case. We have it's all white women. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We've got ex-wife, ex-wife's counsel, ex-wife's counsel's assistant, GAL, GAL's assistant. We've got child rep. We've got you, we've got your clerk, we've got school teacher, school social worker, uh, we've got child psych 604, 604's helper. So we've got we've got We've got 19 white women Mm -hmm. against a white guy and his little white girl daughter. Mm -hmm. Can I please have a personal color on this case? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And her reaction, which is incredibly amazing when you read it in transcript, was We worked for 30 years to have control of this courtroom, and we're not going to give it up for anybody.
0: Man. Yeah, they're not going to go. <laughs> that pretty
1: much summarizes my entire case.
0: Oh, I am so sorry. I'd like to have you back on in the future for an update if you'd like to come back on.
1: Oh, I mean, we haven't talked about much of the minutia of the case, right? We've stayed kind of like high level. Mm -hmm. there's a lot of minutia that I like to talk about just between you and I having a dialogue about what we would offer advice to other parents, Mm -hmm. because we're not going to be the last people to go through this. No. And what I've tried to do since I've realized that I may never see my daughter again. And I'm, you know, to whatever druthers that means. Uh, I just try to tell people, listen, don't bankrupt yourself. You know, mm-hmm. don't blame yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Like that Catherine Kasanoff lady in New York.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She's the best example I can think of because she did it all wrong. She drained her bank account. Mm-hmm. She tried to use every political advantage she had being district attorney of New York.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She was ultra wealthy and entitled.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And when it got too much for her, she committed suicide. And that is across the board what not to do. Protect the money. Mm-hmm. Litigate. I mean, if, if she couldn't litigate properly and the system beat her up as a district attorney, that means that your name and your level of power, your level of knowledge of the legal system means nothing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's why I love using her as an example, especially because it's more recent. It's like that woman knows more about the criminal courts than anyone else would in a major U.S. city, the biggest U.S. city. If she didn't know, in all of her knowledge, with all of her friends and all of her money, if she couldn't find a way to get her kids back, you won't. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. I'm not saying that to be negative to the parents out there but I'm going at it at the school trying to expose it through that angle because I have the school dead to rights. and then if I can bring these people in on the stand and get them to admit on the record what they've said and what they've done Mm -hmm. maybe I have a shot because the way I look at it is my daughter's buried under an onion of corruption definitely I've got to peel layer after layer after layer of corruption off of her to get back to getting her out of that mess. I can't get through those layers directly. Mm. I can't, it's I, I can't do it. So if I can get the school layer to expose the GAL layer, to expose the opposing counsel layer, to expose the judge layer, then maybe I have a shot. I had a lawyer tell me. If you give me 18 months and $150,000, I'll get get your daughter back to what you used to have 50-50. And I said, what about the pedo? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Crickets. Because in my case, I don't, and this might sound horrible, but my priority as a father, as much as I love spending time with my little girl and as much an honor it is to be her father and to teach her, And to watch her learn and watch her grow and watch her smile and watch her play and watch her just interact with the world. I'd much rather know she's safe than know she's being hurt Mm -hmm. and not being able to do anything about it. So I would sacrifice not seeing her again Mm -hmm. if it meant I knew she was safe. If I could guarantee her safety, I would would sacrifice not seeing her but right now she's not safe and I still can't see her. And because I know they won't let me see her or talk to her. Well, the reason why they don't want me to talk to her, they took away my nightly calls is because they know the minute she says, dad, he broke me again, or Hey, mom, mom hurt me again. I don't call a judge or a lawyer. I call state troopers in the FBI. Mm-hmm. Because now I have the entire case. Because now they've covered it up and it happened again. Now I, I have them dead their rights on aiding and abetting and now it's criminal. But the biggest problem I have in Illinois is we have a DA who won't prosecute judges or lawyers. Oh. Kim Fox is the biggest joke in the entire country as a DA. She's the Jesse Smollett lady if you remember that whole story. Yep. The one who tried to throw the cops in prison for taking a statement from a liar.
0: God help us. Anyway,
1: but, but that's just it. I mean, I, I I just, I would, I would tell parents. That's what I, maybe our next, our next call does, or our next, mm-hmm. our next podcast does is kind of giving parents the heads up. Here's what's coming at you. Here's what they're going to try to pull. Here's the correct way of handling it. Because I don't think that that information is out there.
0: No, no, it's not.
1: Because they have a playbook. There's a playbook these idiots have. Oh, yeah. And my guess is there's a private listserv somewhere where they talk to each other off the record. Because I've heard the same playbook around the country. And I'm like, how, how do they know what to do? Why are they doing the same game plan? The same strategy.
0: Well I know i gotta have some yeah, my my hairdresser told me because when I was going through all this stuff, he said, you know, he goes to the club. he sees them all at the bar. They're all talking about and laughing about clients' cases. They're all having a good laugh. He says, he said to me, how does anyone get a fair shot at anything in that courthouse?
1: Um Daily Center is the uh, domestic court location for Chicago. Uh, It's on the corner of LaSalle Street. And right down LaSalle Street are all the law firms. All the buildings on that street are all of the most. Clark and LaSalle are like almost all the domestic law firms downtown. And what's amusing is, I would say domestic law is 80% female workers. I'd say it's 80%. And they all know each other. Oh yeah. And I, there's a there's a place that you can get a, a really good lobster roll on LaSalle Street. And I know for a fact from my guy who used to go there daily because he loves his lobster roll. He's an, he's an ex-trader. He said the stories he's heard over a over his meal in the background is disturbing. Mm-hmm. framing parents for crimes and all this other crazy stuff. But I refer to it in Chicago as the style street girls club. Where it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman. It's just a protective parent or the mm-hmm. money bag parent. Mm-hmm. Right. And what I seemingly from what I, what I'm learning and I'm not accusing my GDL of this because I can't prove it. I don't accuse anyone of something I can't prove.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it seems like if you get into the system fast enough and you know the system well enough, you could you you could bribe your GAL, and the GAL who gets the biggest check sides with that side and pushes that agenda,
2: mm-hmm. or
1: the agenda is to extend the case or
2: mm-hmm.
1: right shift that shift the blame to the parent with the most money, right? So they get the most support, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So <clears throat> I've heard from other parents around the country. They've proven that GAL took bribes. Because in Illinois, at least, Illinois, Illinois, GALs have complete immunity mm-hmm. from hearsay, from lies, from submittals, from anything. Complete immunity. In Illinois, though, they don't have immunity from fraud. They don't have immunity from child endangerment. And they don't have Uh, they don't have immunity from aiding and abetting criminal. So those are where I'm going after the GAL is those three items because she doesn't have immunity. When I called the first 10 or 12 law firms to sue the GAL because she's the first one I knew who was dirty in my case. Everyone's like, she has immunity. We can't touch her.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, you're not the first person to hate their GAL. You know, to make friends with your GAL. Oh, I know her. She's nice. Let me call her. Let me see if I can make it work. What do you mean make it work? And then one guy came back to me and said, it'll be a it'll it'll be a price, but I can get this back on track. Think about what he just said.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It'll be a price, but I can get this back on track. That really sounds like she said, if he gives me X,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I will play ball. Now, I can't prove that, but that's what I heard on the phone, and that's the way I interpret it. So think about it. If they have complete immunity, the judge signs, and they can steer a case any direction they want to go. In my opinion, the GAL is the most dangerous person in that courtroom.
0: Right. They are the third-party parasite. What I did in my case before they were going down that road of getting guardian ad litems— Um, what I did was I figured out who the guardian ad litems were in these law firms. And I went to every one of them and I just reviewed my case and I was like interviewing them to be a guardian ad litem. And that way um, if they were called to be a guardian ad litem, I've already tainted it. There'd be a conflict of interest. So I kind of got to them before they could get to me.
1: And what's funny was once I caught them framing me, Mm-hmm. They contacted every civil litigation firm the same way. So they tainted my ability to attain counsel to sue them for their crimes. Every single law firm I talked to was like, nope, can't talk to you. Nope, can't talk to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. The tainting laws, I think, are kind of bullshit anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's strategic like you used it for mm-hmm. but if it revolves around something of, of civil nature I don't think it should be I don't think it should be enforceable. Right. Because it doesn't affect their ability to litigate for you or research for you.
0: right? and they're or useless. Represent you. They're they're just extortionist parasites. They should get rid of all third party individual players.
1: I mean, it would be an ideal dream, but I agree with you about the abolishment of domestic court or reconfiguring it. You put a six-parent jury in, you know, because in, in Chicago it's pretty. It would be pretty clean cut. It would be two black, one one male, one woman, two white, one male, one woman, one Latina woman, and one Asian male. It's pretty much our demographic of Chicago broken down. You do that, and that's the mandatory structure. Mm-hmm. Of parents, right? So those parents, whatever. And they come in and they and they're you're allowed to present evidence, you know, and that jury has a decision to make. And they actually say, okay, we're gonna give you three months discovery, but th- we're not gonna restrict your discovery. Because my discovery's been restricted the entire time. Uh. I had to, I had to fight through quash after quash after quash after quash. I actually had to trick the judge into giving me one of my subpoenas. Mm-hmm. I came in with a with a on a day they're gonna quash my next subpoena request. Mm -hmm. And I pulled one over on her. And I what I ended up doing was I had the new one in my back pocket. Opposing counsel tries to quash the third round. And I said, Your honor, I abandoned that one. What? Yeah, I abandoned that one. Don't worry, let's not even review it. I abandoned it. She goes, okay. Mr. Kohler abandons uh, subpoena thirteen. I know it was even thirteen. It was like it's like thirty-one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was, and she, I'm like, but since we're all here, I'd like to serve opposing counsel this subpoena while at your presence, since you're my witness, Your Honor. And I literally served everybody in court my new subpoenas. Nice. And they couldn't fight him. And then the judge let the GAL out of hers because the JO admitted. On court record, she destroyed evidence because my daughter admitted to her on video that she was that she was hurt by mom and she was groped by stepdad. And the JL says, your honor, I erased that video. Wow.
0: Uh,
1: wow. I can't believe you actually admitted that on court record. Thank you. You stupid person. Yeah,
0: right, right.
1: And I looked at the, your honor. I said, your honor, I have a, I've had a motion to remove this JL for nine months. She just admitted she destroyed evidence of abuse. Why are you removing her? And you know how you know it's dirty when they back each other up? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: When my custody report and recommendation came back, dad didn't lie, mom lied. Dad passes his exams, mom failed hers. Dad told the truth, mom covered up a pedo. He's a pedo, dad's a good protective dad. The accusations against dad are wrong, the accusations against mom are real. My recommendation is dad loses custody. And I also recommend that we keep the GAL on for the remainder of this young girl's adolescence. You just said in your previous paragraph that they framed me for crimes. So how much did you get paid by the GAL to keep her on this case to make some extra cash? Like they don't care about the kids, they care about extending the case as long as possible.
0: Exactly, yeah, exactly. They just wanted to drag it out File one continuance after another, drag out one court date after another, and I, I just I can't wait till our next podcast.
1: Yeah, let's go into let's go into the 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 details of the the process because we both know it because we both have lived it
2: mm-hmm. and we
1: both have read and heard many stories from other people. But I think it'd be very vital to us trying to use our next podcast to educate newbies. I don't mean that as an insult to the parents, but the fresh ones, because my God, we all make the same mistakes, don't we?
0: It's okay. Yes, exactly. Because we we
1: believe we have civil rights. We believe we'll be able to present evidence. We believe we'll be granted, you know, that we can't lose our kids without evidence. That's my favorite. Mm -hmm. The fact that there's so many parents who've lost their kids without an ounce of evidence against them. That means that that means anyone in America can lose their kids at any point, and that's what I got. That's what be it really is the issue. You have to wake up the majority of happy parents in the world, non sociopathic parents, mm-hmm. non parasitic parents, to remind them this is what's actually going on in domestic court under your nose
0: mm-hmm. so with your taxpayer are, dollars.
1: Your money's funding the the trafficking of children to abusive and sexually abusive households. Removal from good protective parents. And your kids could be next. All you've got to do is step into the arena because the minute you cross that threshold, you have no rights.
0: Well said. You know, how can people reach you if they have any questions?
1: Well, our uh, Instagram page is private, but I accept re- requests to follow. We're keeping it a little bit quiet until we do a few more podcasts and get a, get the name out there. But it's at Kiko, K-E-K-O, underscore, coalition. So that's at Kiko coalition for Instagram. Okay. Uh, website we have up with our court docs against judges suppression orders, which is another fun trick they pull. You can't tell anybody what happened in this courtroom. But Don'tSomeBroccoli.com is a pretty nice summary of my case, my daughter's case, and all the players involved. And then, honestly, uh, I don't really accept emails or calls directly about cases because I'm not really an investigator or a lawyer. and I can't really give legal advice, but I can share experiences and, you know, whatnot. But, yeah, the uh, we're still looking for the parent who figured out how to break the, the code. And I haven't found them yet.
0: Well, hey, uh, don't jump off. (laughs) Don't jump off. Don't go anywhere. Slam the gavels, a podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I am your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth, and Raised by These Wolves, How Family and Federal Courts Are Failing Our Children, coming out soon. Please join us here again with Ryan Kohler on another exciting episode. Uh, You can find me on Spotify, YouTube, Apple iTunes, Anchor FM, and feel free to donate to buy me a coffee to help support this podcast. I totally thank you, Ryan, and you will be back.
1: Thank you so much for having me.